Hello everyone, this is episode 6 of Gaming's Lost Memories. I am your host, Big Reed, and today we will be talking about the used video game market, emulators, and ROMs. Uh, now this is kind of interesting because uh, this is going to be a discussion, not because uh, <laughs> I'm like a ROM or an emulator person. I don't think I've ac ever actually completed a game on an emulator. Like I've always uh, like flirted with the idea of like seeing some things with it. But uh, long story short, the main focus is actually going to be because of the difficulties that you experience if developers and publishers don't provide a convenient way to play their games. So hear me out here and I'll kind of explain what, you know, spawned this, <laughs> this podcast. Cause originally, um, I was going to talk about persona three and yeah, probably persona three, four and five together. Um, just because that's kind of like the, the new age where it's coming from SMT and persona three being a, a dark game to it lightening up a little bit, still having, you know, you know, mature elements and everything like that, and then kind of becoming what Persona 5, which is its own thing. It's no longer under the SMT banner. But that was originally going to be the uh, the topic for today. And here's where the curveball came in. So I'm like, you know what I'll do? Uh, I'm like, I'll do a quick little refresher because um, uh, I have Persona 3 Portable, which I, I love the portable version. Um, I <laughs> uh, Shout out to DJ Dr. Josh. Um, he always, we always, uh, tease each other about this, but he definitely, uh, teases me about not being able to run in Persona 3 Portable. And I'm like, you can run in Persona 3. I'm like, play FES or play the original. Ah, <laughs> um, so he always gives me a hard time about that. He's like, this game's terrible. He's like, I can't run in it. And the reason why you can't run in it is because the, the PlayStation, you know, portable hardware was very limited. Uh, but long story short, I bust out my PSP. I'm looking at it sitting over here. I have the red and black, um, God of War, like special edition they did. Uh, so I've, I've had several PSPs over the year. I, I bought the original PSP 1000, uh, the one that basically had the messed up screen where like every single screen that I've seen of those had so many like burnt out pixels um, or stuck pixels. Like it was sh shockingly common um, in the first you know few months of its release. I don't ever remember seeing anyone that I saw always had like multiple um like stuck pixels or burnt out pixels. So that was always kind of interesting. But then I had a PSP 2000 and then, you know, this most recent one I have, which is in really good shape, is a PSP 3000, the black and red like Kratos edition. Uh, looks absolutely awesome. Played uh, some, you know, Persona 3 portable on it. The disc was still in there, the UMD disc. Um, and I'm like, awesome. So I, I, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to find my charger before I go about my day and, you know, go to physical therapy. And I plug it in. And it's like blinking, but it's the, normally the light will stay on, right, on, on that console. I believe so, anyway. But normally you'll get like a light that's on letting you know that it's charging. But it was blinking. I was like, ah, oh, that's that's kind of weird. So I go about my day. I come back. I go to turn the console on. Uh, it's very clear that the, the battery died at some point uh, because it's having me like reselect the date and time and all that good stuff. Another, another common thing, if you go back in the retro, you know, and, and fire, you know, one of the old game consoles up. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, let me check the battery and I go to pop the battery out and I have looking at it now, the 2200 milliamp, um, PSB battery back, the official Sony one, like the expanded battery. And as soon as I like click that hinge and the, the back that connects to it is like the expanded back. So you can fit the larger battery in it. It just explodes off. And I'm like, 
what and luckily the battery wasn't leaking or anything like that but it is uh shockingly swollen so you know just basically over the years of you know just being in storage you know being in the basement packed up and moving boxes and all that stuff it just isn't working <laughs> and is dead so i ordered a new battery but my whole point and kind of why i wanted to talk about like the used game industry and and whatnot in general and we'll kind of get into it a little bit here but the reason why this kind of kicked off the discussion is i just wanted to play persona 3 portable right and persona 3 and 4 port persona 3 portable persona 4 golden i think are re-releasing on like basically all consoles the xbox versions might be like the only enhanced versions which is kind of weird but regardless um they're not coming out till january so we got a few more months for those. Persona 5 either came out today, I think, depending on when this podcast released, releases. Um, you know, it, it came out on the other consoles and everything like that, I, I believe, today. Um, so long story short, this whole idea started because I, I just wanted to fire it up and, you know, maybe play it for like an hour or so just to refresh my memory on it a little bit before I, like, shared some of my stories about that franchise. And I can't. <laughs> so uh, my other option is uh, to hook up my PS2, which uh, as of right now with the new TV that I bought uh, and the monitor that I use, I don't know if I can hook up uh, the old style cables, like the audio video cables. Um, I have component cables for the GameCube, for the PS2. Like it, It's one of those ones where it was all of them, and hopefully they're still in good shape. Um, but I guess my point is, is like, you know, as gamers, there's several ways you can kind of experience old games. Now I having experienced everything. So I've always done everything legally. I I'm completely fine with rebuying games that does not bother me. Um, uh, but I'll use Nintendo's, uh, you know, Nintendo online service. So you can play Nintendo, super Nintendo, Nintendo 64 games. But that was pretty recent, like in the past couple of years or so, you were even able to play those. So, you know, your options are going online and, you know, buying a game that's no longer in publication anymore uh, or downloading it from the publisher if they even offer it, which so many games don't even offer it. Or there's, you know, you might game on PC or you might game on PlayStation or Nintendo or Xbox and it's exclusive to another platform. I'll give you a great example. I've been really wanting to play the uh, the Final Fantasy uh, remakes. It was like one through six or something like that. Uh, whatever collection it is. But they're like the enhanced versions that are on PC. And they're only on PC. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I would prefer to play them on my Switch. Um, so puts me in an odd position where it's like I want to experience this. But like I'm, I'm kind of being forced to experience it in a way or, you know, not experience it at all. Like what if they didn't re-release these games? So like, as of right now, I don't think I have a way of playing, you know, Persona 3 Portable or I, I have Persona 3 FES as well on the PS2, but I would have to hook up my PS2, which to be honest, I haven't hooked up a lot of my retro game consoles because I don't even know if the stuff that I have now um, can even like support them. So it really puts the community into an odd position like entertainment and especially with video games it's 
there's uh, some growing pains on, you know, ownership and everything like that. Because at the end of the day, you know, with something like, say, Xbox Game Pass or Nintendo Switch Online, you know, you have to have a subscription-based service to play the, you know, play these old games. Now, keep in mind, Nintendo in general, you know, they, on the Wii U and 3DS and Wii as well, actually had a really awesome virtual console. And I think the reason why you're not seeing, you know, them bring the virtual console back is they are slowly going to, you know, very slowly for some reason, like the Switch, I think has been out for five years and it, you can't even like put themes on it. Console I love, but um, like even their Nintendo Switch online, you know, they, they're like, they're finally just getting around to releasing 64 games and they still have like a lot to release, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like interesting. So my, my point is, they're pushing it towards a subscription-based service, kind of like Netflix, Hulu, etc. And I think that makes sense because at the end, at the end of the day, um, you know, they're raking in billions of dollars in yearly memberships, you know, for these services. So, from a financial standpoint, I kind of understand, you know, where they're coming from. But the flip side is, these publishers no longer benefit from the used game market. So. If you aren't giving a good or efficient way or even offering an option to, you know, make money off of the game, because at the end of the day, that's what I want. I want to be able to turn my switch on or whatever the most recent, you know, consoles, whatever I'm experiencing, be able to play these games easily. But you also have to keep in mind that if you're not given that option, you can't do it. That's like one of the craziest things. So the, the other option is playing it, you know, on the original hardware, which at the end of the day, let's just talk about that real quick. I think that is the absolute... Uh, best way to experience a game. So uh, what I mean is playing on the original hardware, original controller, and on a CRT TV if you're able to. And funny enough, oh my gosh, I long story short, uh, when I was in high school, and the TV's probably you know old as heck now because uh, I had a... Uh, <laughs> this is going back, so this is going to be even funnier. Are you guys ready for this? Um TVs used to have the uh, cable hookup, so the little like auxiliary line, right? And they didn't have the audio video, you know, line. So old living room TV, good God, this thing had to have been from the 80s. And the way that I would have to <laughs> hook up um, consoles was we had a VCR. And I remember the VCR, I think, plugged into the cable line on the TV or something like that. This is all very vague, but it had audio video cables. So technically you could turn the VCR on and it would receive the input of the console AV cables going into the VCR and would display it on the television. Or I don't know if anyone remembers these. They used to have these like cable hookups where you would have to hook up your, you know, NES or whatever through the cable line and then put it on channel three or four. Like it had to be on channel three or four and it would basically play through the, the cable line. Oh my God. That was absolutely crazy. And then, you know, you get your audio video cables and things get a lot more uh, sturdy and just better displays, better audio. Like everything was like so much better. But my gosh, like so first of all, this TV, you know, eventually I had this like horrible TV and it was one of those uh, 
you know, I had, I don't even know how long I had it. It was like so old and it, there's no way it was new when I got it. Uh, just <laughs> knowing the circumstances growing up, um, it might've been <laughs> found and then given to me, but you know, near the end of its life, uh, it would do that green line across like in the center, just a green line. And then you'd, you know, just smack it and eventually it would start working again. So I did that for years. And then, um, out of the blue, uh, the TV was finally replaced because it was just dead. And you know how, like when you're younger and you know you don't really have too much money for yourself because uh, you're just either a teenager you're like 12 basically you, know, you have a paper out but geez oh man that was like <laughs> slave labor <laughs> I made like $20 a month <laughs> uh, yeah it's really hard to uh, have a, a video game hobby <laughs> you gotta you gotta wait and cross your fingers for birthdays and uh, Christmas hopefully um, but uh, yeah so I ended up getting my, my mom purchased me uh, a television. It might have been a JVC, and I, I remember the speakers. It was a flat screen, so it was huge. It was still huge, but the the screen was flat. Had speakers on the side, on the sides, and it had um, really interesting audio. So if characters went from like, say, you're watching a show, and they went from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen, the audio would follow. It was like this like dynamic audio, which didn't sound like that crazy of a thing, but it was really cool. And it had the component hookups, so. I don't have that TV anymore. It's no longer my possession to a lot of crazy, you know, situations and circumstances. But holy smokes, that thing is like so valuable now, like looking at the used game market. So basically, <laughs> you want to play, you know, an old game and you're getting old hardware, which can be expensive. Now you're finding the game itself, which holy smoke, you better, holy smokes, you better pray that game's not rare now because you might be spending $150 plus, depending on what it is to you know, even play the game, then you need, you know, your memory card. So if like, if you don't have all your old stuff, or if you do in my case, and your PSP battery just, you know, explodes out of the back of the console, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult, but that is the best way to experience these older games. Like I, I really do think it's better on the original hardware. I think it's better on a CRT TV, which if you can find one, good luck, um, you know, probably mid to, you know, mid 2000s, maybe to the end, you know, you could probably still go to Walmart and find some of these TVs. But now, you know, you're going on eBay and praying to God you can find it without crazy shipping costs because they weigh nine million pounds. So <clears throat> experiences, experiencing these games is pretty difficult. Now, here's the flip side too. say, say a publisher or developer does have, you know, either a virtual console, or some type of, you know, a Nintendo Switch online service or Xbox Game Pass. Um, for older games, it gets tricky because the games are being emulated. So obviously, you're not playing them on the original hardware. So what has to happen is, you know, they have to be configured kind of to the new hardware. And, you know, in certain cases, say like for the Nintendo 64 games, you have, you know, an emulator which emulates and pretends to be the new, the new hardware pretends to be the old hardware, and then you have to have the actual games themselves, right? The ROMs or whatever. So that's done through these, you know, services, which is great, but sometimes they don't always run well. So I'll give you an example because uh, I was pretty excited to replay Ocarina of Time on the uh, Nintendo 64, Nintendo Switch Online portion. And playing on the new controller is tough. So that's that's one thing, like getting used to that, because one thing that I feel like Nintendo, especially like with their their development, one thing that they do better than I think anybody is they maximize the hardware that they're developing on. And if you give the, well, they're the creators of it, but you know, if you give them a new controller, like the developers, the Nintendo 64 controller 
even though it has some opportunities and it's a little awkward, it plays those games perfectly. Like you fire up Ocarina of Time and it just like makes sense uh, where you play it on like the newer controllers. And, you know, the first thing I tried to do was like move the camera and I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> but I, I don't have that Z button, you know, in that little gun position, like the trigger position uh, where it just like felt natural moving the camera around. But at launch, there was a lot of complaints that there was input lag and it didn't feel right to me. I, I don't know how much input lag there was, but it definitely felt delayed and awkward and input lag is one of the is one of the common things that can happen when you're you know emulating games or when a developer basically you know re-releases um, some of their games and everything like that. So it, it, it's a tricky situation because at the end of the, at the end of the day, the used game market doesn't really benefit the publishers or developers in any single way. So I, I always look at this like personally, I don't emulate. I don't use ROMs. It's not that I'm against it. It's just I would prefer to just buy it and play it on my current hardware, like completely formally. Like I, I like that. I want I want the good experience. I don't want to have to you know change 900 settings and ROMs or emulators to like fix this. That that stuff isn't fun to me. I I appreciate the you know the um, like the user experience that you kind of get when it's official. So like you know I don't mind waiting. But saying that publishers and developers put their communities in awkward positions because if you don't give a way to purchase it again or to play it officially, like you're almost encouraging uh, piracy or whatever you would call it. Now, here's here's where it gets tricky too. So when you say piracy, you think of like, oh my God, this is absolutely terrible. And at the end of the day, you know, if I, if I can, you know, I would rather buy a movie, use a streaming service, or buy you know games on the virtual console, right? That that's my stance. That's how I've I've always been. I, I would always rather own a copy of the game and play it on the hardware. But now you're kind of seeing certain things, you know, happen. So the first is if the publisher is not giving you the option, there's literally no benefit to them in any way, shape, or form. Like you, if if they're not giving you the option to purchase it from them then like, what are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? So it's, it, you get put into an awkward position because the used game market, you know, was kind of this weird middle ground that for the longest time, GameStop, you know, that was their business model. Uh, and it, it worked. And you can talk about like what's going on with their company kind of recently. It's interesting in more ways than one now. But, you know, the used game market was, you know, publishers were always complaining like, oh, you know, GameStop's taking our, our money here because, you know, People are just waiting and buying the game at a, a cheaper cost, which that's fine. But OK, so you go back to the NES, the Super Nintendo. So, you know, uh, I, I stopped at a game store, which I'll talk about in a second here. I was looking for like GameCube and PS2 games. There's no benefit to you. If you don't offer me a way to purchase it, the used game market, like you go and buy a GameCube game, there's that doesn't go to the publisher. That doesn't go to the developer at all. So it puts you kind of like in this awkward ownership position where you know going forward you're going to see digital as an option more and more and probably digital is the preferred option to be honest because like it's just so much easier and more convenient but once again if the publisher and developers don't offer this as a solution then what do you do? You know what I mean? So that's kind of where people want to pirate because there's literally no other options to play the games. 
it's either, you know, go on eBay or, you know, to a used game store or something like that and spend hundreds of dollars to get the hardware and software just to play this old game. Or you can just download it on your phone or computer, like however they do it. So it's a really intriguing position because I'm in the camp of, you know, so I, I come from a business background and the way that I look at it is you shouldn't have your consumers jumping through hoops because the more hoops that you give them or the more hurdles that they have to overcome to, you know, experience your product, the less likely they are to give it a shot or even try it. So that was really weird with Nintendo's virtual console service, which basically the Wii U had one, which is exclusive to the Wii U. The Wii had one, which is exclusive to the Wii. The 3DS had one, like, et cetera, et cetera. And to be honest, like the Wii U virtual console and the Wii Virtual Console were absolutely phenomenal, but it seems like that's going away. Plus, they were exclusive to the the you know the the platforms. So you know, one of my, another shout out to DJ Doctor Josh, but you know he's like, yeah, I own like seven digital copies of you know Zelda, <laughs> which is crazy that you have to like rebuy it. So it's like. I don't know. It, it just puts you in a, a really odd position because right now, you know, used game market prices are high. It's kind of difficult to, you know, even play them because you have to have like a compatible TV if you really want to experience it. Because I'll, I'll be honest, when you, you know, HD scale it or put it on something that can run component cables like on an HD TV, it just like it doesn't look correct. Um, they were designed with the CRT TV styles. You know what I mean? So like if you look at a picture, uh, somebody has a picture floating around of Eris or Aerith from Final Fantasy VII. And it's like, I knew these graphics were bomb back in the day. And it's like a picture of, you know, the HD upscaled, you know, little portrait of her on a HD TV or monitor. And then like this version on CRT, on the CRT TV and the CRT version just looks a million times better. And it's like, I knew I remembered the graphics were a different way. And that definitely is true. Like that's the best way to play them. They just look a million times better that way. Funny enough, um, I actually played, I know we talked to, we started off the podcast with Persona 3, but I actually played Persona 3 on my buddy's monitor uh, when we were in the military. Well, it might've been, it might've just been a really small HDTV actually. <laughs> I think it was like a 20, or 20 inch or 22 inch TV. But I remember like you could kind of like keep it in the four, three aspect ratio or like stretch it or like, and I remember like stretching and I was like, this looks weird. So it's like, it's like so complicated, but at the end of the day, it just kind of reminded me, like, I, I wish there was like you, you're hit, you're hit or miss with used video game stores. So I'll share some, uh, you know, just some stories about these. So the first one is the battery, the PSP battery. Um, the, the where I grew up, really small town, and there's this one shop space. So there's there's not shops. Uh, it was kind of a running joke that if you you know open a business in my hometown uh, in a year, it's going to be gone, and there's going to be another business, and then, then another year it'll be gone, and it just cycles through. Uh, there was a a pizza shop place that has had nine different pizza shops in it, uh, which is hilarious because I think they just have the ovens in there. So they're like, every time they sell it, they're just like, okay, you give it a shot. See if you can keep this business open. Uh, but there was a shop and it feels like everybody gives that shop a chance to stick something. They feel like, like I can make it work in there. But many, many years ago, like when the Pokemon trading card game was out, it used to be a card shop 
And I distinctly remember going in there, and th- this will lead into the PSB battery, trust me. Um, but I remember going in there. This is, she's 20, more than 20 years ago at this point. And uh, back in the day, you used to be able to weigh Pokemon packs. Uh, and there's a reason why they ship them in the cardboard now, so you can't weigh them to tell if there's like holographics and stuff in there. But they used to uh, weigh them to tell if there can be a holographic in there. So if you go on eBay now, and they say, like, this is the weight, you're probably going to get a hollow in there. It, it's pretty accurate these days because, like, the scales, like, it's just so minute. But, you know, you know you're getting a heavier card. Um, but long story short, he had, they were either base set or fossil set. And they might, I don't think they were Japanese, but I can't remember. But long story short, he had, like, a fishbowl of, like, packs. And it's, like, guaranteed holographic. So I asked him. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, if you buy one of these packs, they were like nine bucks or something like that. He's like, you get a guaranteed holographic. And I was like, okay. So I did it. And I remember like uh, my buddy was talking to him about other cards or something. And I remember opening it and I'm going through and yeah, there was a rare in there, but I'm like, there was not a holographic card in here. And he's just like, oh, well, I'm like, what? (laughs) No, like he's very lucky that I was like 14 or I would have like complained. I'm like, give me my money back or give me another pack. Uh, but I was just like, uh, what just happened? <laughs> He's just like mumbled and stuttered and was like, yeah, I guess not. I was like, well, okay, <laughs> this is weird. Uh, but later on, uh, there was a used game shop there. And oh my God, looking back, I would have went and with all my money and just like bought every single thing they had because they had a lot of really good games. And nowadays you go into game stores and it's so hit or miss. Uh, like I went to one the other day and they just didn't really have anything, you know what I mean, of value or of interest. Uh, but back then, man, they had everything. And I remember uh, one of my buddies from the military um, was staying with me. It might have been for Skyrim weekend, which we'll talk about on another podcast. But, um, you know, we were hanging out and I was like, you know what? I'm going to hook up my PS2 and play yada yada. I don't even know what I was playing. And uh, I was like, I need a new controller. And I, I just remember, I was like, yeah, you can hang out here. And I was like, I'll be back. And I just went there and bought like a brand new, it's the PS2 controller I use to this day. Uh, it's like silver, it's super clean, like just brand spanking new, basically. It's like I took it out of the package still. But it was really cool just being able to go there and be like, yeah, I need this. But that's where I got that PSP battery too. And I remember going there and I was like, because I was playing, I think it was Persona 3 Portable. This is maybe 2010-ish. And I was like, man, this game is absolutely incredible. I'm playing it. Like, I need more battery. So I went there, and they had the expanded battery, like, the f- official Sony one. Like, it was just such an awesome place. But you just don't see these shops anymore because it's getting more and more difficult. So I went to, uh, I want to say the name of the place was the Hall of Hobbies. Uh, and it was kind of interesting because, like, I, I just Googled, you know, hey, you know, game stores, video game stores near me. And obviously, like, it pulls up Game Stops. But you can't really find, you know, old stuff there anymore. But the pictures like looked absolutely awesome, super bright, super organized and everything like that. I get in there and I don't know if they were like shuffling stuff around, but um, it kind of looked a little disjointed. Uh, it would have been fun to explore it more because like, for example, it was very difficult to walk through there. Um, and especially like I wasn't the only like customer group in there. There was a family, you know, mom, grandma, grandpa and two kids, maybe they might have been brother and sister. But long story short. You know, with that many people in there, it like you're shimmying around, like it's hard to actually look at the products. 
boxes and boxes of just random stuff. Like I'm looking in the one box and there's just a, it's a box of Skylanders. Here's a box of new Skylanders. Here's a box of NES controllers and the, the arcade pad on the NES. I was like, Whoa, I don't know if I've seen one of those in person recently, but it was really cool. Then they have some stuff behind the glass, but you know, nothing too rare. They had some, you know, DS Pokemon games, um, some Game Boy advances, uh, they actually had, I think, a Japanese copy of Final Fantasy V for the Super Nintendo, which was interesting. I, I kind of wanted to buy that, but I was like, ah, like the condition of it didn't look bad, but I was like, I don't even know how I'd you know, play this. But um, the point is, is like, it's really hard to even find these, you know, used games easily. It'd be wonderful to be able to go in and be like, oh, cool. Like you have a decent selection of GameCube games, but really everything kind of migrated online um which isn't bad because like you have just unlimited resources essentially like you go on ebay and you can find anything you're looking for you know price might be high <laughs> depending on what you're looking for but uh you know it, it would be nice if it's possible but you know i was thinking more about it and as i'm leaving that place because their prices were reasonable but they didn't have any rare stuff so you can't have both you know if you have rare stuff you, you're going to have to kind of look online and get an understanding of the value of something and price it at that or a little bit higher. So, for example, you know, if you have a, a, a used game that's about 100 bucks online, you got to you got to price it between 100 to 120 dollars. And, you know, there's been used game stores where I can go in and I'll, I'll never be disrespectful to somebody's business, but you can kind of haggle a little bit. Um, you just got to know, like, you don't want to say something that's really valuable and be like, I'll give you 60 bucks for it. And they're like, it's worth 150. Like, don't be a jerk. Um, so you, you almost have to list it at those prices to even maintain that inventory. Because at the end of the day, what you don't want is, you know, somebody coming in there spending three grand and you're like, yes, now you don't have any cool inventory and they just listed everything online. So you're kind of, you know, hoping that people will come in and sell stuff and trade stuff. Like it, it's a really, it's a really weird market. And I don't know if there's like really anything equivalent because I don't know if DVDs really hold their value. So like you look online, like I, I was trying to sell some of my DVDs that are brand new and sealed and like I couldn't even sell them for a dollar. <laughs> so it's like kind of hard to get rid of them. I, I actually took them to a, it's called the exchange and they sell a lot of used games and they actually have had an awesome selection, but they're priced like, you know, 40 to 50% higher than like what things are actually worth. But once again, it kind of keeps stuff there. So if you're actually looking for something, you know, ah, it, it, it's a, it's a tricky predicament, but you know, here I am and kind of what spawned this is, you know, at the end of the day, I just wanted to fire up persona three portable, play it for a little bit. So, you know, I could, you know, jog my memory a little bit to talk about SMT and the persona series, but it's just difficult to do these days. So, you know, if you want to play used games, you're spending a lot of money. If you want to do it on the original hardware, you're spending a lot of money. You're going to have to set everything up. going to have to find an old TV if you want to do it the right way. Like It's just a, a really interesting time right now because for some reason, it seems like with your DVD entertainment or movies, you know, music, like it all went digital so much more seamlessly. And I won... It, video games feel different because... This is so tricky. I don't know. I don't, it's, it's tough to explain. I, I think because, you know, ownership of it and like their collector's items where like a movie's not really, you know, 
it doesn't feel like a collector's item, but a rare game does. And maybe it's because, you know, we as gamers kind of associate these experiences so so closely with things that were happening in our lives. So, you know, the nostalgia factor, which I don't think nostalgia um, impacts how you view the game necessarily. So for me, I've never gone back and played a game that I thought was awesome that just is bad now. Like most of the games that I liked at the time were good at the time and they're still good now. So they stood the test of time. But you have your nostalgia of the time. So, you know, to kind of look back at the used game market again, um, I fired up Panzer Dragoon, um, you know, the remake, and just the nostalgia at the time. So, you know, my buddy Joe, um, he had a Sega Saturn. And I'm going to do another podcast on the Sega Saturn itself. But what was uh, so interesting about that is, like, you build those memories of that console. So like I associate that console and my experiences with him and us just being, you know, you know, young boys and being goofy and just, you know, running around being crazy, you know, and then we'd go and play virtual cop too. <laughs> uh, and it's really funny. Cause like we have that game, like completely memorized, like both of us could, you know, fly through that and we'd end and like the scores were so dang close. We'd beat the game in one sitting every time. And it's like go back outside and run around and play and ride bikes and stuff. But you, I feel like gamers kind of associate those experiences with, you know, fond memories. Um, and maybe that's why they hold their value as opposed to, you know, I have this like, I had DVDs that I didn't even open and I couldn't even sell them for 99 cents. You know what I mean? Like they just don't want them. Like there's, <laughs> even when I took them to the exchange to sell them, uh, I think they took like 30 or 40 of them, um, which was great. I was just happy to clean some of them out. Um, but yeah, there was like, nerdy stuff in there anime collections and they're just like eh, like there's we have like 10 copies i guess we don't even need them like they made 100 million copies of this movie so it's it's really it's really interesting because with the video game industry as of right now you know you always are playing what's new and that's that's one of my favorite things so I love experiencing a ton of games. So I've played thousands of games at this point. I've written video game reviews. Um, I wrote for two different websites, you know, back in the day. Uh, one more recent than the... Well, actually, they're both pretty recent. I think I officially stopped writing reviews and game articles. Uh, and I, I was on a different podcast, too, at the time for darkstation.com. Uh, but I, I stopped around 2015-ish. Uh, just life got busy and, you know, I, I was working a whole bunch. But uh, my point is with all of that... Um, and what was my point with that? <laughs> um, huh. I, I do this sometimes. I, I get on a tangent. I'm like, hmm, where was I going with that? But, you know, you associate these experiences with, you know, fond memories and everything like that. And I, I don't know. Like, when you're reviewing a game or when you're remembering your experience, you kind of remember the experiences at the time. And I think that's less so with other forms of media which is really interesting because you you have something that is considered art. So I guess movies can be considered art too, but it's this weird art slash entertainment thing where at the end of the day, they're meant to be played, but now there's so few copies in circulation that if you can't download it you know, now, like if you're not given an option from the publisher to download it and play it, 
you're yeah you're doing a lot to try to even like experience this game it's it's expensive it's really i don't know it's really interesting so my desire <laughs> to play you know persona just kind of kicked all this off and i'm like i just wanted to talk about persona a little bit because i have like cool memories from that too um but yeah so i, I was playing panzer dragoon um and that just you know reminds me of like the sega saturn and everything like that and it's uh, it's another thing. It's like, hey, they remade it. But if they didn't remake that game, you know, you're buying a Sega Saturn or trying to download the emulator and ROM, you know, quote unquote, as piracy. But even that's kind of weird, too. So I don't know how um, how much everybody understands, but it's really weird because like when you research it, emulators are legal because you can like make backups of your consoles, BIOS or something like that. So. <laughs> that's legal and you can technically make like backups of your games to have them that's legal but you have to do it like with the game itself but then you know there's like rom sites where people go to and just download them for you know free basically but once again it's like i don't know how can you how can you hold somebody accountable if you don't give them the option to do so so i i guess the equivalent like say you know i i use apple music um like I have an option like I, I could go on like if if there was Apple Music, but it was all old video games like 15 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or whatever it is like, yeah, I, that would be fine with experiencing that. Um, so there has to be like a convenient way to do it. And I think you're going to see more so um, you'll see more so uh, like the Xbox Game Pass. And I remember Xbox Game Pass coming out because I think this is kind of important to highlight because this is probably where the future of gaming is going slowly. So you talk about the used game market and everything, right? And if you're if you're looking for it, you're looking for, you know, a, a disc or, you know, a game in good condition, the manual, the you know, if it came with a map, like the case is good and not damaged and all of that. But most games today don't even like come with a manual anymore, you know, and so many games, uh, you know, they gave you the disc and on the disc they would put, you know, like fighting game characters on it that were locked behind a paywall. Uh, but they were in the, like they were on the disc. So they, there's just like so many like weird things that happen, but like as the digital option becomes more efficient for new games, that's good, right? Because you can just download it. Like it's super convenient. You can switch between like three games if you, if you're play if you're just like messing around with some games. You want to play like a few games in a day or something. Like you can. You can switch easily. You don't have to get up. You don't have to change cartridges around. But even so, like you're seeing less and less of collector's editions. The games don't come with manuals anymore. You're basically just getting like a a case. You know what I mean? Some games are digital only. That's another interesting thing too. Um, so like it's going towards that experience and it's going slower so xbox game pass i, I remember uh hearing about it because one of uh one of my uh employees that i used to work with uh he was big into xbox so newer xbox so take a step back um i, I on a previous podcast i talked about you know halo and i didn't own the original xbox but experiencing it with friends who had xboxes like i just i had a good time you know i, I loved it i really loved that experience with my friends um, but after that generation, so the GameCube was my main console and I ended up, you know, purchasing a PS2 later on and, and loved it. I, I love the PS2. It's one of my favorite consoles ever. Like just the uh, quality of the library 
is insane. And you have the quality of the library, but then you have like, I like this really super specific genre. Awesome. Here's 50 games. <laughs> and it just wasn't like that with the GameCube, which I still love, by the way. But the next generation, you know, you have your Wii 360 and PS3 and the Xbox 360 was my main console for a really long time. It took probably, I want to say five or six years for Sony to turn the PS3 around. Uh, and really the full turnaround kind of happened with the PS3 Slim, like when they relaunched it. Um, they started getting, you know, games back and exclusives back, but you know, the, uh, the Xbox was just like, that was my main console. So then after that, you know, uh, you have what your PlayStation four, Xbox one, and it wasn't the switch. Was it the Wii U? I guess, technically, I guess the Wii U, that was, that was an interesting console, but long story short. You know, I switched back to the PlayStation 4 because um, eventually near the end, the PlayStation 3, like Sony fully turned it around and it was kind of like the main platform, I would say, for like developers again, which that took years and years and years. So you just had a better selection there. Um, then I, you know, I switched to the, the PS4. So around that time, you know, if I am playing anything, because I'm pretty busy at that time of my life, uh, it's going to be on the place, the, the PS4, right? So I remember... Uh, him telling me about Xbox Game Pass when it came out. And he's like, yeah, you pay like a monthly service and you get access to all these games. But it's not it's not necessarily just streaming. So I think where it really works out, because <clears throat> I have Xbox Game Pass now, because I actually found uh, the new Xbox console. Um, it, funny enough, uh, I've been looking for a PlayStation 5 because if I was going to buy one of the newer consoles outside of the Switch, it was going to be a PS5. But you just can't find them. It's been two years. You can't freaking find one. And good luck. The holiday season's coming up. So, you know, if anyone's able to find one for Christmas, awesome. If not, you know, don't beat yourselves up too much over it. But uh, I got an email from Microsoft and they're like, hey, we're going to have Xbox One X's in stock, uh, like the bundles in stock. So if you want one, I'm like, OK, so I ordered one and I got one. Uh, but Xbox Game Pass is amazing. So it's probably the best like deal in gaming right now, but Xbox is Microsoft is banking on it. Like what they want is to put Xbox Game Pass on other platforms because they see that's where the that's where the money is. And shockingly enough, you know, they're right. So as opposed to doing things with a virtual console, I should have like looked up some more uh, information, but I believe with Nintendo Switch Online, uh Okay, yeah, I just looked at it. I wanted to double check it to have the correct information. Um, but Nintendo Switch Online, which, I mean, it's not even a premier service yet. Like, it, it has so much room for improvement. In 2021, made Nintendo a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, Xbox Game Pass in 2021 made $2.9 billion in revenue. That's absolutely insane. That's a, that's a crazy revenue stream. And I, I wish I... Uh, you know, had the information, which I don't know if Nintendo's ever really released it of like virtual console sales, because at the end of the day, between Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo, Nintendo just has like the best, I would say, like the virtual console library if they threw everything on there. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the other, you know, like older companies that kind of, you know, launched with the NES, so like your Capcoms and everything like that. I think they just have like there's so many, you know, Square, there's so many games out there. But if you charge somebody for some for whatever reason, if you charge somebody 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, 
you know, whatever these subscription models cost, you know, in media too, so streaming services and everything too, they're more likely to have one or multiple. And you can kind of justify 10 bucks a month coming out of your account as opposed to, you know, buying each individual movie for 10 bucks that you want to watch. Same thing with games, I guess. So there's something there because I would be very curious the 1 billion in revenue in a year versus how much the virtual console averaged over, say, like, you know, a few years. Because the Wii U didn't have a really long console life either, but it had a banging virtual console. So it's really interesting. But, <clears throat> you know, I remember him telling me about Xbox Game Pass to kind of go back to that real quick. And I was like, I don't know about this. He's like, it's basically like, you know, Netflix for video games. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Now that I've experienced it, I'm like, I can see it going here. But I think what's in, which what is critically important is as of right now, games cannot be streamed very well like a movie. The input lag, any anything I've ever experienced with streaming a game, you know, the cloud versions, whatever, it's just it's not worth it, in my opinion, as of right now. So with Xbox Game Pass, like you can download the games. Now, that's awesome. So like literally you could just pay for that every month. Like you don't even need to buy games, which is crazy because like how, like, I don't, how do you, how do you maximize the revenue in that perspective with say like, okay, call of duty is coming out, you know, so whatever new call of duty, you don't need to put that on game pass. But if you put that on game pass, geez, Louise, everybody's going to sign up for game pass. So like I, what makes more money putting these games exclusively behind a subscription model or you know your grand theft auto comes out and sells 50 million copies at this point or you know you're selling 20 million copies like what's better or maybe both like you release it for you know six months or three months and then you put it on game pass i i don't know but i i do think that the video game industry is kind of behind here and i think it's partially from gamers. I think, you know, we do like to collect games. We do like to purchase games. We do like to have ownership because here's the flip side. And this is something that, you know, everybody's been experiencing as well. So Nintendo is in the process of essentially like discontinuing, accepting, uh, I think, what is it? Um, like adding, adding money or, or accepting credit cards or something like that on their 3ds virtual consoles their Wii virtual consoles. Like they're, Game services have been shut down. So that kind of goes back to, you know, you can turn on your old hardware, but if you don't, like with the with the PSP, for example, or the Vita, the Vita might be a better example because I did download a lot more games on the Vita than I did on the PSP. Um, but you download, you know, games on these old consoles and then they shut down the store for them. Now you can restore your purchases, but what if your hardware doesn't work? Like how do you, like what do you do? You know what I mean? So the idea of ownership, I think, has been going away in media, you know, in this internet age. But on the flip side, too, with gaming, it's even weirder because it's like, okay, now I can't experience this anymore. So how the heck do you, how the heck do you do it? So I, I don't know. It, it makes sense that if you're playing current content, I do like the digital, the online. Like I like Game Pass. I, I like Nintendo Switch Online. I like this stuff. But how do you maintain ownership? Like in 10 years, if you want to play these games again, you know, are you in a spot where everybody that bought the game physically is just like, woohoo, you know, I got <laughs> my collections worth, you know, $10,000 now. Cool. Um, 
so I don't know. It's it's all very intriguing and interesting, and it's been fascinating. You know, so I've been gaming for. 30, 30 plus years. Basically, as soon as I could hold a controller, I was playing Mario. You know what I mean? Like, so the NES was kind of, I had an Atari, but I think I had an Atari after. I think I got it at a garage sale like later on. But the NES is kind of what I say is my first, you know, video game experiences or console, you, you could say. So having played this long, it's been absolutely fascinating seeing how developers and publishers and hardware manufacturers have tried to monetize this. So, you know, sell the hardware because you want to sell the software. And at the end of the day, it's, it's all about the software. Like you want, you definitely want to sell the hardware, but you know, you kind of see Microsoft or they're like, Hey, we own the PC market. <laughs> so they're at a, a unique advantage because they're, they're looking at it as like, we just want to get as much revenue, you know, whether it be PC or Xbox, like if, if you want to play across them, it doesn't matter because we own both. And if we can get more people to experience this and pay for this, awesome. Like we were opening up a massive revenue stream. But, you know, for Nintendo, you know, and Sony, well, yeah, Sony as well. Like they don't have an entire like, you know, PC market as well that they just own. So it's like, how do you continue growing and expanding? You know, is the existing video game model... And it's changed a lot since I've started gaming, but is it archaic? And I think so to a certain degree. But when you eliminate the possibility of being able to play old games because, you know, it's not part of Xbox Game Pass. Like, you know, it's not part of Nintendo Switch Online. Like, I want to specifically play Final Fantasy 3. Cool. How do I go about doing that? You know, I, I want to play it on my Switch. Well, you can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or in my case, I want to play Persona 3 Portable today to refresh my memory and record a podcast. Well, guess what? You can't. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. It's it's all very interesting. And it's been... I think it's also kind of important. I'll, I'll wrap up this podcast with this because we've been talking for a while. Um, but we're also at a point now where we need to start, as a gaming community, preserving our history and our, our legacy and everything like that. And that's partially what I wanted to do with this podcast too, is like, there's so many memories that and so many historical elements, which are just forgotten because the video game industry is run as a business, but there's a lot of deep meaning and feeling behind some of these video game experiences. Like some of the most impactful, you know, parts of my life, you know, some of them are video game experiences, whether it be with friends or just, you know, an experience with a game that kind of, you know, changed how I think or changed how I perceive, you know, things or the world. Um, it's just, or seeing, you know, what's even possible with this medium. So when you're creating an experience that you play and you just knock it out of the park and you take the player on a journey, I just don't think you can equate that to a movie. And, you know, like for a while there, I was a movie buff. There's so many films that I absolutely love, you know, watching and, you know, that's that's a whole other fun thing to talk about. Like, oh my gosh, have you seen this movie? But, you know, the difference with our video game history and our video game legacies and, you know, all of our all of our stories, so your stories, my stories, it's an experience that we had. And it's an experience that we engaged in and led, you know? So you play a game and you made the choices. Like, that was your experience that's unique to you. You know, somebody else might have played the game too, but their experience is unique to them. And I don't know if you quite get that with movies or TV shows. I think it's a little bit different because like with a film, 
you're telling your story to the audience. With a video game, you know, you're giving them the means to explore their story and interpret it, you know, kind of how they see it. And you can't replicate that experience across people. So it's all very interesting. But, you know, I, I look at all of these, you know, there's fewer and fewer copies of video games out there or, you know, um, like there's just less and less because they haven't been manufactured in such a long time. So you look at, you know, say Pokemon Blue, I looked at it, uh, it was closed or complete inbox, CIB, I think is what that means. Um, and it was like $249, but how many Game Boy games like that still are in that good of shape with the box perfect, the manual, like everything's good, the battery's like still working, like, you know, it might be like with my PSP, you know, I pop open the back and I can't get it to, you know, stay on, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's limited copies of this and people would have had to have like taken perfect care of it or sealed it at the right time or kept it away from their kids. Like, I don't know. I, I think we're at, at the time now where we need to be preserving our, our, our video game history as well. And to do that, it's going to be expensive. You know what I mean? Because as people get older, you know, and they have these massive collections that they preserved and they're tied to it. And they're like, I have all these experiences and I don't want to let them go. And they, they pass away. What happens then? You know, it starts getting sold and getting out there. I don't know. I'm sure there's video game museums out there, but how do you fund it? Like, I can't imagine a video game museum, you know, having solid funding and like, Hey, we need, you know, <laughs> we need $25,000 cause I, I got to buy all these PS2 games. <laughs> So I don't know, it's it's all kind of, you know, interesting. And I, I think with kind of subscription-based software, this is going to sound crazy, but, you know, that's one way for Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft to kind of preserve their respective histories and give players the options to, you know, Nintendo Switch Online does this really well, actually. It's almost like a little mini museum where you go in and you look at the game and there's some history about it and it tells you about the game and you can play it. And I think it that's kind of how it has to be. Like you have to preserve your own history as well as you kind of go into the future too. Um, so yeah, uh, my, my luckily it didn't explode, but my expanded PSP battery, that is kind of what caused this podcast. Um, so <laughs> soon persona three, uh, SMT and persona three, four and five. Um, and sharing some of my stories with those, the, those are coming. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just kind of want to talk about that a little bit because I, you know, I went to a used game store. This happened, and it's like, I don't know. Everything's kind of wild out there right now and expensive. So if you want to play, you know, some old GameCube games, uh, which GameCube and PS2, I don't know why. I, I think it's because, uh, like, I I have I have pretty solid. Like I'm looking behind me now. I have pretty solid collections of those actually, um, but they're they're harder and more expensive to find. And I didn't have a lot of money during that time, so like, <laughs> it's like ah, I wish I could have experienced these. Um, but yeah, so that wraps up episode six of gaming's lost memories. Uh, I'm your host, big Reed, and, you know, stay tuned for some JRPG talk coming up with, you know, persona three, four and five. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you guys next time. Thank you. <laughs>